This is Publishers Weekly Radio, the authority on all things books and publishing, with everything you need to know from your favorite books and the world in which they live to bestseller lists and publishing news. Here's the inside story on your favorite story. Publishers Weekly Radio, with your hosts, Rose Fox and Mark Rotella. Hello and welcome to Publishers Weekly Radio on the web at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio and also available on iTunes. I'm Rose Fox and I'm a reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Mark Rotella, senior editor at Publishers Weekly. We're bringing you the very best of book talk directly from PW's offices in New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. On today's show, author Jim Butcher discusses the newest Dresden Files novel, Skin Game. Then PW Comics Reviews editor Heidi McDonald tells us what's happening in the world of comics and graphic novels. But first, here's a sneak peek at next week's Publishers Weekly bestseller list, powered by Nielsen Bookscan Rose. On the fiction list, uh, our guest this week, Jim Butcher, was at number one last week. This week he drops down to number six. Mm-hmm. Our new number one is Stephen King. So, you know, Stephen King was going to knock anyone out of that top this spot. He's Stephen <laughs> King. Right. Sold over 80,000 copies, according to Nielsen Bookscan, of Mr. Mercedes. Mm-hmm. This is a crime thriller. Um, it's one of those books that it's it's not entirely clear whether to call it horror or thriller because the uh, antagonist is so incredibly evil. Mm-hmm. But he is just a man, albeit a terrible man. Uh, it's a, so we called it a suspenseful crime thriller. Um, there's a detective who's retired, and then he receives a taunting letter from someone who claims to be a hit-and-run driver who mm-hmm. killed uh, a number of people several years before. And so he hopes to wrap up the case and follows the letter writer uh, into an anonymous chat room, and then there's a cat-and-mouse game that plays out. And we see quite a lot through the villain's eyes, uh, uh, He's a sociopath who uh, also operates the neighborhood ice cream truck oh, because you, you know you know King and say clowns right. for example right. Uh, right. yeah nothing nothing says terror like distortion of the icons sure. of childhood yep yeah. So the PW Review says coincidence and luck figure significantly in the final outcome, but King excels in his disturbing portrait of Brady, a genuine monster in ordinary human form who gives new meaning to the phrase, the banality of evil. Mm. So that's Mr. Mercedes, and it is number one on our hardcover fiction list. Down at number five, we have The Hurricane Sisters by Dorothea Benton Frank. PW hasn't reviewed this yet. I'm sure we've got a review of it forthcoming. Um, This is basically the opposite of the Stephen King book in every conceivable way. Mm. Sweetness and light and happiness and love and family and togetherness. Uh, And there is also uh, a plot, but it's really about the emotions that it invokes, which, again, is sort of like horror, only in this case it's evoking the opposite emotion. It's, It's a very heartwarming book. That's what it's for it's to make you feel better uh, so it's a, a family and a lot of family dynamics and interpersonal connections and struggles and difficulty and everything coming out all right in the end wow. um, and women being together and supporting one another so that's the hurricane sisters by dorothea benton frank at number five not necessarily driving an ice cream truck in the suburbs not no. necessarily okay. no yeah. probably not <laughs> uh, and and no distortion of no childhood dist- icons <laughs> there right. um, and finally down at number seven laurel k Hamilton's A Shiver of Light. This is the long-awaited to the Mary Gentry series after five years away. Um, fans will be really happy to see Hamilton picking this up. Mary Gentry is a fairy princess uh, who 
is a fertility icon. She is the, the first of the Fae to have given birth in many years. Not only that, but she gave birth to triplets. Mm. And not only that, but the triplets have several different fathers, um, some of whom are her many lovers, and at least one of whom might be the man who raped her and now has some claim to her child through possible paternity. So wow. this is this is one of those, you have to have been there from the beginning for it to make any sense sure. right, series. Right. But for fans of the series, um, it's very nice to see her back. So as you can see, it's at number seven on our hardcover fiction list. Wow, fantastic. Well, we've got at number eight, we have a... Uh, it's a memoir uh, from uh, Brett Beyer. Uh, it's called Special Heart, A Journey of Faith, Hope, Courage, and Love. Uh, and this is written by a father, Brett, uh, who uh, he's a reporter. Uh, and this is about caring for his critically ill newborn son. Uh, starts off with that. And he takes us into the world of pediatric cardiac disease and then continues through um, going through with his son, three open heart surgeries and seven angioplasties. And, wow. and, and you know, I mean, could, it, happily, the story continues today uh, that uh, he is still alive. So uh, so this is a book uh, is at number eight and is obviously re, you know, kind of really um, readers are responding to it. So and again, that special heart, a journey of faith, hope, courage and love. Number 11, uh, the rest of the top 10 is pretty much the same. So top 11 is uh, Dinesh D'Souza, who writes on conservative issues in America. And this book is called America, Imagine a World Without Her. And uh, again, we don't have a review of this one in yet, but... uh, the publicity material for it says it offers a passionate and sharply reasoned defense of America, knocking down every important accusation made by progressives against our country. So that's Dinesh D'Souza, and he, his books often ended up on the uh, uh, on the uh, top ten usually. And just looking down a bit, uh, the next next one, the next debut we have isn't until number 31, but it's a good one. We gave this book a star. It's by Helen Rappaport. It's called The Romanov Sisters, The Lost Lives of the Daughters of Nicholas and Alexandra. And in this, uh, we say the lives of four daughters, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, and Anastasia of Nicholas and Alexandra, Tsar and Tsarina of Imperial Russia, have been both sentimentalized and overlooked in the years since the Russian Revolution. And we say readers will be swept up in the author's leisurely yet informative narrative as she sheds new light on the lives of the four daughters. And I, I like that our review said leisurely yet informative. So many of our reviews will may say it's a fast-paced but there's something uh, wonderful about a leisure, a leisurely read. So um, anyway, that's at number 31. And, and especially for, for summer, you know, when, when you get those, those long, lazy evenings. Exactly, exactly. And then when you're thinking Russian, you think Russian literature, and you do think uh, one will be spending uh, quite a bit of time <laughs> with them, especially <laughs> the big ones, so it might as well be leisurely. Yes, indeed. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox, and this is Publishers Weekly Radio. Next up, Jim Butcher tells us about the latest adventures of Chicago's only professional wizard. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox, and you're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio, direct from the PW offices in New York City. Today, we've got Jim Butcher on the line. His new novel is Skin Game, the 15th book in the Dresden Files. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, sure. So uh, tell us about the book, Skin Game. 
Uh, well, it's the 15th book in the series. Uh, and this one, Harry Dresden basically gets farmed out to the bad guys team uh, by his new boss, Mab. He's not terribly fond of the idea, but Mab is playing a game and she expects Harry to play as well. Uh, so Harry, Harry winds up working with the bad guys and w- with Mab's instructions that as soon as they betray him, he is to, he is to, to defend himself with uh, uh, better and more creative treachery. So tell us about Harry Dresden. Tell our, tell our listeners who, who may not have been there for the first or second book. Harry Dresden is the only professional wizard in Chicago, or, or, or just about anywhere, really. Uh, he is a, a member of, of the White Council of Wizardry. They're kind of like the major league of wizards in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, generally works in the, in the open. He's, he consults for, occasionally consults for uh, Chicago PD. Uh, he is not looked upon fondly by his peers for such activities, and it's possible that he might have a, a, a little authority issue. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um, yeah, maybe a little one. And the the city of Chicago uh, is the setting for the series, and it's sort of become a major character in its own right. Um, how do you bring it to life? What kind of research do you do? Uh, when I started writing the series, the only the only research I had available to me was basically guidebooks of Chicago. Uh, I mean, even the internet was not terribly extensive at, at that point. That was in 1995, 1996. Uh, um, and then as I, as I was writing the series, I, I got to meet people who lived in Chicago. So then I had an additional resource, uh, uh readers who, who actually lived there and I'd be able to say, Hey, I need to know what this building looks like. And they'd say, sure, let me take a picture of it on my, uh, on the way by and I'll send it to you. And, and, and you know, then, so that was a, an additional kind of, of, of information. And then I actually started making more of the minimum wage. So I was able to actually go to Chicago and visit and visit it. Uh, uh, and, and, and now, uh, uh, not only can I do that, but, uh, I've got access to wonderful things like, you know, Google street view and Google maps. Sure. Sure. And how do you incorporate your knowledge of martial arts into the action scenes you write? Oh, I, I don't know if I incorporate much of the actual, uh, you know, the actual technique in, into action scenes as much as, uh, uh, I've got kind of a, a, a generalized knowledge of, of what an actual fight is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, for the most part, you know, real fights tend to be either really, really short and ugly or kind of drawn out and humiliating. And, and those are really your only options for a fight. There's there's very few awesome martial arts fights that happen in the real world. And, and I'm sure now that if you wanted to learn about them, we could always Google them. And, and right on YouTube, there'll be someone showing you step by step how to have a martial arts fight. Yeah, probably so. Probably so. You can really find out a lot. <laughs> so you've, you've been very involved, as you said, with your readers um, and now on social media. Uh, your Twitter handle is LongShotAuthor. And I've been dying to ask, what made you such a long shot? Why'd you pick that? Uh, when we started, when I started going, decided I wanted to be a professional writer, the very first day of, of, of my genre fiction class, which was being taught by an actual novelist, uh, she sat down and said, all right, these are the odds if you want to break into writing. And she says, uh, uh, basically about one manuscript in 10,000 that gets sent in uh, actually gets read. Of those about uh, uh, only uh, of the ones who, who get read, only about one in a thousand is actually published. And of the, of the authors who publish, only about 5% of them actually make a, a, you know, a, a living wage at writing, only about one in 20. Uh, comes out to about one in two hundred thousand uh, of being able to make a living doing that, and I, I and my my handle uh, online and and at uh, laser tag had been long shot for a long time because he was one of my favorite superheroes, 
And uh, I decided, you know what, that really, that this just needs to stick because this is, you know, one in 200,000, those are pretty long odds. And uh, uh, so I decided I was just going to take the name in defiance of that. And then here you are, that, that one in 200,000. Last week, you were, uh, your book was at number one on our hardcover fiction bestseller list. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, and, uh, and this week, it's still on the list, um, down at number six now, but there's certainly no shame in being outsold by Stephen King. How do you handle the ups and downs of the publishing game, the, the days when you're at number one and the days when you're not? Um, the days that I'm at number one, I get Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, and that's pretty much I mean, that, traditionally that was how I celebrated victories uh, uh, when I was when I was starting out as, as a writer. And, you know, for, at that point, a victory might be getting a, a, a personalized uh, rejection letter uh, rather than just a form rejection letter. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, that was still that was something worth celebrating. It was a step forward. And at the time, all I could really I, I didn't have a lot of money. So all I could really do to celebrate was, say, okay, you know what, I'm going to go to Burger King and, and sit there and, and drink the bottomless Cokes at Burger King. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, and and so as I got to be more successful, it seemed sort of churlish to turn Burger King aside, who had been there for me during all these uh, uh, during all these small moments of victory. So now when there's large moments of victory, I'm still like, okay, I'm going to Burger King. And I take it it's the Whopper, or do you indulge in the double Whopper? Oh no, no, I I, I go with like basic hamburgers. Okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm like this ridiculously simple, boring person in real life. So. <laughs> well, one who uh, at a young age developed a fascination with fantasy and science fiction that which we read uh, began with a bout of strep throat. So tell us about that episode and how your interests evolved. Oh, uh, I, I I got sick uh, <laughs> and was too sick to go to school. And, and it got strep throat, and I guess I was uh, uh, just kind of a miserable-looking little guy. I was about seven. And so my sisters, uh, to make me feel better, they went to the uh, bookstore. Uh, they went to Rainy Day Books, and they got me uh, – one sister got me the the Han Solo trilogy by Brian Daly that had just recently come out because Star – I think I, I don't think Empire had even come out yet. Wow. And uh, the other one got me the original, the, those primary color box set, Lord of the Rings, where the, the, the books were, were, were yellow and blue and, and, and green and red. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and they brought those home to me. And I read them all, you know, uh, over, the, over the course of the next couple of days before I was, you know, feeling better enough to go back to school. And uh, after that, there was, I mean, I just didn't have a chance after that. So uh, you were, you were and, hooked. Yeah, basically. Uh, after, after that, it was it was uh, 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 the Narnia books, and then the Pridein Chronicles by Lord, Lloyd Alexander, and then everything I could get my hands on. And you've uh, you've done your own sort of quasi Tolkien esque uh, epic fantasy series, the Codex Alara. That's kind of always been overshadowed by the Dresden Files books. How, did, how does that feel? Uh, I feel like it's the second child. It doesn't get quite as much attention, so it's a little bit more dour and serious. Uh, 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 but at the same time, I, I really enjoyed writing it. And uh, uh, see, the thing about the Dresden Files is is that everybody else picks up a book and they read it, and they get to hang out in Harry Dresden's world for like three or four days, maybe you know, maybe much less. And for me, it's a different experience because I'm there for six to nine months. And you know, by the end of that time, it's like being with a you know, it's, it's like being with that college roommate that you're just ready to murder by the time you get around mm-hmm. to, to uh, a summer vacation. You know, uh, it's like, oh my gosh, this guy is, he's just so get over yourself, Harry. You're just you, it's not all your fault. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired of being with this guy. And so when I get to finish the book, it's like, Whew. Uh, uh, but then and then I can go and I can play in another world and do other stuff. 
And I really think that's one of the things that has helped keep the Dresden Files from from going stale for me personally. Uh, uh, is I've been I've had all this other stuff that I could go do and work on. By the time I'm done with them, I go back to Harry and I'm like, ah, back in the saddle with Dresden. Great, this is fun. So it was also the Dresden Files was also made into a role playing game. So that must have been pretty cool. I mean, have you ever played the game? I'm the one guy on the planet who can't play the role playing game. Um, <laughs> Because as a gamer, I'm like this power gaming weasel. Uh, uh, and, and who could actually GM me uh, in that game? I mean, me. Yes, it is that way. And, it, it, and if necessary, I'll write it that way in the next book. I mean, I would, it, that would be horrible. You, you would change the canon just to give your character an advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and yet, if I was the GM, too much like work. Right. So uh, I'm like the one guy who can't play it, but a, a bunch of other people are playing it and having fun, and that's awesome. I, I've actually I've played an addressed inverse game. It was a great deal of fun. We uh, we magicked up the city of New York, and it was a blast. Oh, awesome! <laughs> so the series was also made into a TV series, uh, unfortunately short lived, but it certainly has its fans to this day. Tell us about what that was like and your involvement with it. Um, I think looking back at it, all in all, it's one of those glass half empty, glass half full things. Uh, uh, it could have been a whole lot worse. I saw the first treatment. It could have been a whole lot worse. Um, and I think the folks that were working on it, uh, who were on the ground at the time, they really did the best job they absolutely could have uh, uh, with uh, the limitations that they were they, they were handed by, by their network. Um, uh, it's all all in all. I mean, they did a they did a pretty good job. Uh, I don't think they really screwed up anything to- really badly. Uh, uh, and it, and it got a whole bunch of people to, that hadn't heard of the books before to, to, to come read the book. So, I mean, it was, it was awesome for me. Uh, uh I, I do kind of wish that they had, uh, they had gone with a serial format rather than an episodic format. Uh, but, uh, they, they had changed that right before about two weeks before they started shooting. They said, you know what, we're not going to do serial. We're going to do episodes. And I think that's really what, uh, I, I think would have gathered a lot more audience if it had been an ongoing story rather than, uh, you know, an each week is a different story story. How how do you keep that sort of longer arc going through the entire series of books to keep readers involved? Okay, when I when I first when I when I first wrote uh, the first chapter of the first book, my writing teacher looked at me and told me, "You did it. This will sell." And I said, "What?" And she said, "No, honestly, I don't know if this will be the first thing you sell, but this is of saleable quality. You'll get this sold." And I was like, "Okay." And she's like, "So you need to plan out the rest of it." And I I, I sort of misunderstood her. Wow. So I went and I outlined the next 20 books. <laughs> oh, wow. And I, I brought that in the next week and I'm like, so I, I've, I've got it planned for about 20 books with like a big old trilogy to, uh, to kind of cap off the end of it. Um, um, do you think that's okay? And, you know, she, she, she doesn't want to look at me and tell me that I'm never going to sell a 20 book series to an editor, you know, like that. Uh, so she, you know, she doesn't want to discourage me. So she just kind of gives me this slow blink and then says, yeah, I think if you can sell 20 books, you'll be doing fine. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, uh, uh, and then because I didn't know that I couldn't do it, I, I, I kind of did it. So, and how closely did you, uh, just, just curious, how closely did you stick to that original outline with your books? Um, I'm religious about it at this point. <laughs> so you did. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's not broken. Why, why, why fix it? <laughs> right. Sure. Uh, sure. I mean, when I was, when I was 25, I didn't know a whole lot, but apparently I, I knew enough about writing this story that, 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 uh, uh, it's working out. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little superstitious about it at this point. Sure. 
And you you have some fans who are so devoted to the books that they actually, um, getting back for a moment to role-playing, they, they play characters from the books on social media. There's a, someone who tweets from an account called Harried Wizard, which is in the voice of Harry Dresden. I've always wondered, is, is that you? Is that a friend of yours? Um, you know, honestly, I don't know who it is. <laughs> that's, that's just some, some devoted fan. Yeah, they've they, they've kind of they've I, I know a couple of people who who do the characters and they know the other people and I trust them, uh, uh, but they're uh, 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 yeah I don't know the actual identities of, of of who plays each of those characters. So you know mostly they just said can we do this and I said sure have fun. Uh, that's kind of the whole point of the books and so that's what they do. So do you have any advice for any of your fans or any of our listeners out there who are looking at those one in two hundred thousand odds and thinking they could be the next long shot? Um, yes, I do. Uh, that the whole one in two hundred thousand thing—it's completely an illusion. Uh, uh, if you apply yourself to getting into the industry professionally, uh, uh, it increases your odds dramatically. And I honestly—I I don't think it's a matter of, of, of luck as much as it is a matter of, of dedication. Mm. It took me ten years of work to break in, uh, uh, and that's a long time to work a job that doesn't pay you anything. Uh, uh, but looking back at it now, if it had taken me twenty years, it would still be worth it to be to be where I am today. We've been talking with Jim Butcher, and you can find his book, Skin Game, in stores right now. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. I'll thank you very much for your time. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox, and this is Publishers Weekly Radio. Next up, PW Comics Reviews editor Heidi McDonald brings us the latest from the world of graphic storytelling, so stay tuned. Welcome back. I'm Mark Rotella. And I'm Rose Fox. You're listening to Publishers Weekly Radio, direct from the PW offices in New York City. Every week we get insider info from Publishers Weekly editors and contributors. And today, PW Comics Reviews editor Heidi McDonald tells us what's hot, what's not in the comics world. Hello, Heidi. Welcome back. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going very well. It's great to have you here. So um, when we were getting ready for the show, you mentioned that you might want to talk a little bit about conventions and not just comic cons, but also the recent book con. Well, uh, it's no secret that convention culture is soaring. Um, And as a longtime veteran of uh, Comic-Cons, you know, as a tiny teenager. I was going to the primordial ooze cons in the bowels (laughs) of New York's old hotels. Uh, It's pretty amazing to me to see how they've evolved. And, uh, you know, now everybody seems to want to go to a Comic-Con. And and, um, they're even having, you know, as a book con, which we just had at Mm -hmm. BEA, which really was a spinoff of what publishers saw when they went to New York Comic-Con or San Diego Comic-Con. And they said, gee... I wonder if we could have something like this. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think they were kind of trying for it. But I, I, I think people love going to cons now. I think it's like the circus or the carnival. It's something that people like going to. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's because we're so we, we communicate so much online and uh, thoroughly uh, that that it's nice to it, like people still want to get together? Well, I think physically. You know what? I, I've heard that theory many times, and I, I absolutely think that's part of it. I think. People do like to see other people. <laughs> um, but I, I actually think that there's another corollary to it, is that we are connected more and more mm. to our favorite creators and mm-hmm. our favorite authors. And, you know, this kind of seals the deal. Right. I mean, you can connect with people so much now on Twitter and Facebook and, of course, everywhere. So I think that the fact that, that now you can go to this physical arena and, you know, go the last mile, so sure. to speak, get the autograph, have that, that face-to-face transaction, I think that that's really important. Yeah. So. But you were also talking about like going to the circus 
as you know, going to see <laughs> rather than going right. to interact. When I think mm-hmm. of going to cons, I think of you know, ReaderCon, which is the, the little 1,600-person convention that I go to in Boston where I see people and we talk. Right. You know, I, see, I see my friends and I meet people and we have conversations, which is a very different experience from going to watch, going right. to right. to receive an autograph or to watch a panel um, and have what maybe feels interactive but is still very much an audience experience. I think that's a very good point as well. And I, I certainly, you know, as a professional in the book industry, the publishing industry, the comics industry, when I go to a con or a CAF, Comic Arts Festival, um, you know, I go to see people and to interact and hang out and learn and, you know, have adventures. Um, so I, 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 I think you're absolutely absolutely right that that kind of really, you know, personal interaction, uh, interaction is very much a part of it for a certain part of the audience. Um, at the same time, I'm always fascinated by um, how events like ReaderCon or WorldCon, you know, like there are mystery cons, there are romance cons, mm-hmm. there are science fiction, um, you know, fantasy. And uh, all of them remain very small and focused. Whereas now you slap the word Comic-Con on something and... And it, hundreds of thousands and of people hundreds show of thousands, up. Thousands of people show mm-hmm. up. And, and, you know, for... And it doesn't even... I look at the ads and most of them are like, you know, retired celebrities who used to be on some show in the 80s or 90s. So they don't even have anything to do with comics. But, but the word comic mm-hmm. is in there and people flock to them. Um, so it is fascinating, but, um, you know, I have, I have a lot of theories though. I do, I, I track this very closely and, um, they do have events that are just autograph shows really, where you go and see, you know, Boomer from Battlestar Galactica. He is a regular, um, you know, get his autograph and those shows never do as well as Comic-Cons. They also stay in a certain size. You mean just those, the uh, autograph-only yes. shows yeah. where you go there, you'll see, yeah. Yeah, and they, they stay at a certain size, but they're not growing the way Comic-Con yeah. is. Right. So it's, it's, it's sort of a mystery. It's something I've, I've been, you know, studying. And I do think the interaction between, Rose, what you alluded to, I think the interaction between with the creator on a very personal level i think that you get with comics because let's face it comics creators aren't really celebrities right um Mm. on the level of of you know even boomer well anyway i wouldn't say even boomer but um but you know there's there's gail gail simone and then there's joss whedon right right it's just a different Mm. scale Absolutely. Right. And, uh, you know, comic creators love to meet their fans. They love to have a very personal interaction. You know, you get sketches, you get drawings, you buy their comics. You have a, you have a very, um, I think, value-heavy transaction, to mm-hmm. put it in kind of, you know, monetary terms. But, but I think it's a very... Uh, it's a very pleasant interaction in general. And I think that part of it prevent, gives the Comic-Con an extra added value that the autograph cons don't because right yeah because <laughs> well well let's talk about it in terms of book con mm-hmm. you, you were there uh yeah. and how was this similar to and maybe different than uh comic con like what what did you see as the inspirations and maybe where you felt that it could go further in that direction well i, I i've said this many times and, and written it many times too but you know if you meet the your the author of your favorite book you never forget it your whole life you know i mean that is just you know these these books become such a part of us and meeting the creator of the book is is a real highlight and um 
So I, that's really what I saw a lot of. I mean, mm-hmm. if it wasn't meeting, I mean, the autograph sessions were very limited there. Um, but I saw a lot of excitement among very passionate fans who were very eager to have this kind of interaction. And I, I think book authors, even though they do, they do tours, of course, and, um, you know, readings, signings, but they're not yet. I mean, certainly John Green, obviously, talk about a celebrity, but, um, you know, he has his events and everything, but he hasn't yet been drawn into this con culture that I was just talking about. And so I think, I think, Teens are very aware of con culture. And mm-hmm. I think seeing authors like John Green or, you know, the, the Powerhouse Reads panel, um, you know, Lemony Snicket and, and so on, I think seeing them in this con milieu mm-hmm. gives them the idea that they're going to have a, a deeper interaction with it. Right. So, or, or it's more like, it's more, it's, you know, it's their kind of, their kind of event. So I, th- I thought that, that bringing home that level of excitement for book authors, I thought that was really exciting. And, yeah. I, and when I first saw the crowd there, I was actually really excited about it. And, you know, to hear girls screaming for, you know, a mention of J.R.R. Tolkien that made my heart <laughs> sore. But um, I think it was too many people. I think there was too much excitement. Really? It was, it was, yeah. 10,000 people, right? I mean, they, they, yeah. they hit capacity. Yeah. And uh, it was about 90% female and the line for the ladies room was horrible. I mean, I didn't, you know, luckily, no yeah, I had my BEA badge and Rosa, you know, or when you go to BEA at the best of times, the ladies room, there's always a long right. line. So they literally had to turn a men's men's room into a ladies room temporarily. Um, but you know, that's a real problem. If, you know, people have to stand in line an hour to pee. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> They're going to say, right, and right. The, I have to be honest, there was a lot of um, writing online that was like, this was horrible. I'm never going back. It was awful. You know, so the actual, you know, people on the Internet like to complain. But, you know, mm. there was some some glitches. <laughs> right, right. right. But it's the first time. So yeah. you, you think it'll happen again? I mean, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm sure I mean, the conference organizers yeah. saw it as a big success. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I think it did prove that that people will pay money to see authors. Mm-hmm. And you know, I you know, I don't think that's a bad I don't think that's a bad message for the publishing industry to learn. I really don't. Um, you know, on our our uh, comics podcast more to come, uh Calvin uh Reed and I were talking about Frankfurt Book Fair and the last day, which is the huge, enormous, makes BEA look teensy weensy. And on the last day, they open it to the public and it's huge and people go and they have a right. great time. You know? And why do you think it's mostly women? Is it because, by and large, women read more than men? Or was it the kind of authors who were presenting? You know, I'm not certain about that. I think there was a big YA um, right. emphasis on the con, which, right. I, which, I, which is great. I, you know, I think. I mean, certainly there were a lot of, you know, uh, great authors there. And, you know, setting aside the diversity issues, which they absolutely have to work on. But it was mm-hmm. definitely a YA audience. And let's face it, I, I was talking to Scott Westerfeld. And he was saying that, uh, you know, this is YA con. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that's what mm-hmm. it was, really. And I guess girls are, you know, we know that audience. So, I, be, you know, you could easily make it more boy-friendly by adding different kinds of authors and, right. um, you know, make it more of a safe space for men and, and so on. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, hey, you know what? If that's the audience, that's the audience. I mean, yeah. there's... You know, girls love to shop and buy things and read. So <laughs> not nothing, a big problem. Nothing wrong with that. So um, what do you have coming up for us in the Comic-Con 
end of things are, are there i don't really know what the convention season is i well, want to say san diego's in august and it's that's in all july. july oh bless your heart bless your heart um <laughs> I, you, you said everyone wants yeah, to go to comic-con yeah. i am the yes, exception well i have well, no interest well, in ever going well, to comic con because we need people like you <laughs> <laughs> to stay away yes to stay away uh well it's in actually the end of july and uh, con season used to be limited to a couple of months, but now it begins in February. And I mean, I've already, well, actually, I, in January, I went to France for the uh, for the Occidental World's largest uh, convention, as I like to call it, in France, um, Angoulême Comics Festival. And uh, let's see, where have I been since then? Toronto. So I've been to, you know, two countries. Um, San Diego's coming up July. Next week, I'm going to Heroes Con in Charlotte, which is wow. a wonderful show. Uh, draws about 20,000 people, but an amazing lineup of creators. And it's really known exactly for what you were saying. It's kind of like Reader's Con on a bigger level. But, I mean, people go to see cartoonists, to buy art, to really interact with, with comics in that way. Um, they have a great art auction. Um, and they'll have the uh, Bill Watterson just drew three comic strips, and they'll have them on display there. So that's kind of mm. cool. Um, and But there's three conventions this very weekend in New York's uh, area. There's one in Long Island uh, called Eternal Con. There's one in Westchester called New York Comics Fest. There's special edition at the Javits Center. Um, there's one in Denver this weekend. I mean, I could just go on and do wow. a huge list. I mean, it, it just it is growing by leaps and bounds. And um, uh, let's see, am I going any... I'm not going anywhere. I, I honestly forget. I travel so much, I kind <laughs> wow. of forget about I forget about where I'm going and when. I think Heroes Con is my last one until Comic-Con. And, um, you know, Comic-Con is San Diego's already locked down. I mean, it's they've sold all the tickets. They've given out all the badges. Uh, the press, Reg, just closed, I believe. Um, that's it. You know, you, you can't get in. Of course, people will find ways to sneak in. But... Uh, you know, your planning to go there begins right now for next year, really. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's crazy. And I mean, it's not, there are some, I'll just throw in, I I feel like with BookCon, some people had a bad experience. And you can, people throw really crappy conventions as well. And, um, you know, disappointing venues and and so on. So, you know, it's not it's not the easiest thing in the world. You have to know how to know what you're doing. And, um, you know, I'm sure next year BookCon will iron those out because they do know what they're doing. But, um, you know, it's it's read the read the fine print, you know, do a little due diligence. If you're if you're listening and you're thinking of going to a con, I would just say, you know, Google around, check the Facebook page, see Mm -hmm. if there's complaints or, you know, see what people who have gone have said about the show because it can be quite pricey and um you know you don't want to have a bad experience so so find out what are the good good shows and and support those and what are your personal favorites um well i do love san diego because it's insane and anything can happen it just you never know it's it's a total adventure but my second favorite is what is an emerging growing uh, category of shows called that I call CAFs, uh, Comic Arts Festivals. And these are smaller, more indie focused, a lot more about graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one in Toronto called the Toronto Karmic, Comic Arts Festival. Uh, they had creators from all over the world. They had manga creators, Finnish cartoonists from Latvia, from Australia, England, everywhere. And it's really a uh, very exciting look at, at at the art and the, you know, the creativity that's really bursting out of the uh, graphic novel form right now. I mean, there's so many young cartoonists emerging that are so exciting. So so I, th- I think that's really 
you know, I mean, I do love the spectacle of Comic-Con, but, but when it comes to comics, decaf is definitely my favorite. So, Well, I hope you'll uh, uh, come back on the show <laughs> after the San Diego Comic-Con and talk to us and tell us what had been going on there, what the big uh, events <laughs> well, uh, if, if there's anything left of me, I will. Okay, good. <laughs> we'll have the remains of Heidi yes. McDonald as, yes. our, as our guest on a future show. Well, Heidi, thank you so much. All right. Thank you, guys. And that's it for today's show. I'm Rose Fox. And I'm Mark Rotella, and you've been listening to Publishers Weekly Radio. You can find this in every episode of Publishers Weekly Radio on our website at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio and on iTunes, available for you to listen absolutely free. Check the site every week for a brand new episode giving you the inside story on your favorite story. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Publishers Weekly Radio Show. 